uh, in Malachi 4. This is the series that Paul Phillips has been preaching in. Um, It says, Malachi 4, the last verse says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Uh, so before that great day of judgment, God is going to send a prophet named Elijah. He's an Old Testament prophet, obviously. Many, most scholars think that the prophet Elijah was the John, John the Baptist. Maybe it was him. But John the Baptist, you know, what he did, he set up Jesus Christ, right? And so the man we read about in John 4 actually links back to Malachi 4. That's my segue from Malachi to John. Um, and that's about all I'm going to say about Malachi and John. But uh, we are taking a break from the book of Malachi. Um, and so I hope you're impressed with my segue. I, I worked long and hard at that. If you'll stand with me. We'll read the passage for this morning. John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria... To draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And you would have and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I might not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Call, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You may be seated. Take a few moments and reflect on God's word. (laughs) 
Well, good morning. Uh, those of you who know me, um, I'm David Heinrichs, the director of youth and uh, music ministry here at Christ Community. I'm not the pastor, so if you're not here, if you're here for the first time and you were looking for Paul Phillips, he'll be here next week. Um, but I'm privileged to stand here in the pulpit and preach in the place of Paul. Um, he has been a great friend to me, uh, an incredible friend, and, and a great mentor, uh, very encouraging to me, as well as a, an able leader for us all. So I'm privileged um, to stand here and give him a much-needed break. Um, okay, so the sermon this morning is titled, What is Our Witness? And we're looking at John 4 to try to figure out the answer to that question. Uh, but we do have an answer. We do have a, an assumption, I think, that we operate under. And this is kind of what it looks like, at least for me. This is what it looks like. Um, let me reference Coastal Christian High School. They have a rivalry with Cape Fear Academy, particularly in the sport of soccer. And I went to a game where tempers flared, and I held my breath at more than one opportunity because I knew that somewhere along the line, some teenager was going to lose his cool, and things were going to come out of him, things that ought not come out of him. During a game, we want all our kids to play fair, don't we? We want them to be good sportsmen. Uh, but particularly the Christians, we want them maybe to even be better, to be above reproach, we say, for they represent Christ. And if they don't, we say they hurt their witness. When I was in college, I was, as my mom described me, a firecracker, a firework. You know, I was conspicuous for all to see. I burned hot for Jesus in a way that everybody could see. Now, she would say it was short-lived, but I think I've proven her false. So, sorry, Mom, you're wrong. But, um, but I did actually burn out uh, very soon at age 20. I think I was burned out. But, but I was hot. I was on fire for Christ. I was the guy that had the bumper sticker. You know what I'm talking about, right? My bumper sticker, among many, one of them said, pornography causes rape. And I had other ones just like that. And I was kind of that guy. I was in your face. I was tr If it's true, let's say it. Don't be ashamed. That was me in college. You can, you can imagine, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and then came the day when I sped. And the consequence, of course, was blue lights. And so as I sat on the side of the road, receiving my just reward for speeding, cars passed by. Many of the people knew me and honked. One was a car full of unbelievers who was in one of my anthropology classes. Now, the next day, they, they had a lot of fun because I was that guy. And I remember going home completely rejected, dejected. I remember thinking, I have hurt my witness. No one's ever going to listen to me now. And I took a razor blade and I took the bumper stickers off my car because I didn't deserve to be a witness. Or maybe I just disagreed with the bumper stickers, I'm sure. But, but I, it, my, my unfaithfulness destroyed my witness. My roommate said uh, that it's going to be a hard time for me as a Christian. That's what my roommate told me. It's a hard time to witness to people. Give it a couple weeks. <laughs> New youth leaders, when I recruit, even the worship team, a lot, of, a lot of times these leaders come in and, you know, one of the first things they say is, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm ready for that. I, I, you know, you put me on stage, you put me as a model. I'm not really, in front of all the kids, you know, I'm not really ready for that. My witness isn't all that great. I have maybe besetting sins. I have habits that I can't quite control. 
I don't know sometimes what I might do or think or say that the kids will see and, and I'll hurt my witness, they say. So lots of us think this, right? But if that's what you think, John 4 says there's more to it than that. Your witness is, yes, partly about what you do, the good things that you do, point to God's glory. But in John 4, we don't see that. We see a woman whose witness is very different than that. And so this morning, we need to look at that and help refresh our concept of what it means to have a witness. As we look at the passage, three things become clear. Uh, three, because this is a sermon, and that's what sermons do, three things. Uh, and also because there are three things in this passage. First, we're going to look at the need. Then we're going to look at the solution. And then finally, we'll look at the witness. Well, let's dig in first the need, the need of this woman. It's apparent when you look at John 4, what her needs are. Reading in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? There it is. Wait a second. It's not the woman's need, is it? Isn't that interesting? The first need expressed in John 4 is not the woman's need, but Jesus's need. Jesus is using a need, his need, to draw in a woman to have a discussion about her needs. Right? What a great way to start a conversation. I have a need. Will you please meet it? By the way, I have water. I mean, it's, it's an interesting way that Jesus approaches it. But we do read in verse 9 that the Samaritan woman did actually come to the well to drink water. And she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him because you have a thirst. Now, the woman becomes sarcastic, right? The woman says a number of things that point to her attitude. First, are you greater than Jacob? Answer, of course not. <laughs> You're not greater than Jacob. How can you say you have magic water, living water, that if I drink it, I'll never be thirsty again? She's ridiculing you. She doesn't believe it at all. Not for a second. She also says this phrase, which is very interesting. She looks at Jesus and says, sir, you have nothing. Imagine you're sitting with Jesus and you say, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Jesus might be thinking, well, I created the well. and I created water. I created you. I created the wood that made the bucket that you're carrying. You say I have nothing. How odd is that, that you would say that to, but she obviously didn't know who Jesus was. His identity was hidden and veiled. So she says, sir, you have nothing. <laughs> and then she goes on, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. You hate us. You call us half-breeds. Are you greater than Jacob? No, <laughs> you're not. So she's sarcastic. She has this disbelief. Please give me this water so I may never come here again. I mean, look, if there was really a magical water, really magical water that you could drink once and never be thirsty, then she would be genuine in saying, please give me that water. But I don't think she believed it for a second, which is why verse 16 is so very interesting. <laughs> Jesus says, go, go and call your husband and come back. 
And the woman begins to hear something a little differently, doesn't she? You've just changed the subject. And what Jesus is about to do in verse 16 and the verses that come afterwards is to prove to her, I do have something. I don't have, you're wrong, I don't have nothing. I have something. Let me prove it to you. I know things about you that I shouldn't. There's no way I could. But who stands before you is a prophet, the Savior, the the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. So he uses this knowledge of this woman to, to, to prove that he has supernatural ability to meet his need, to meet her need, to provide the promised living water. And so now she's like, okay, please, I mean... Living water sounds really good, so I don't have to come to this well. Please, I would love, who, would he, who here would want a bottle of living water? Notice the words that Jesus says. You take one drink, you never, never be thirsty again. Drink from my water, you will never thirst again. You'll never be thirsty. That's awesome. So Jesus is proving he is more than merely a man with nothing. But there's something else going on here. Go call your husband. Why'd you change the subject, Jesus? We're talking about water. Why are you changing the subject? Jesus would answer, I'm not changing the subject. I'm clarifying the subject. We are not talking about water, are we? You've had five husbands. Five husbands. And the one you now live with isn't your husband. And she says, oh, that need. That's the need that Jesus comes at her with. Now, her testimony back in the town was, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, we read in John 4, I think, a summary of everything she ever did. But this woman's a good friend of mine, and she filled me in. So here we go. This is what Jesus probably said. I don't know. I'm just making it up. But it's probably something along these lines. Let's meditate and just think of what it means to have five husbands and then a boyfriend. Husband number one, you married him young, Jesus might have said. It was an arranged marriage between your parents and his. He was an older man. He was well-to-do and had plenty of money, and that's why it was arranged. But after having all that money, you wanted more. Husband number two, the fling. He was beautiful, dashing, handsome, and the physical relationship was 100%. However, you remember him. He had a 15-word vocabulary. Husband number three, the famous politician. You married him because he was famous and everybody respected him and you were on his arm and he led you into the most prestigious parties, right? But he found out who you were and that you had been married twice and that you were this less than respectable woman. He divorced you, broke your heart. Don't you remember that? woman's like, yeah, probably I do. Uh, husband number four, the, fa- the, the childhood friend that you knew all your life. He was there to pick you up when you were down, right? He knew you more than anybody. You'd spent so many years together. You knew him until you realized that he was like your brother. So it was kind of weird. Husband number five, the rebound from this childhood friend. He made your ex-husbands who you hated pay for what they did to you, especially that politician. 
until you found out that he just wanted your money the same way you wanted your first husband's money. Husband number six. Oh, wait, he's not your husband, is he? No, you're burned. He's burned. You come together. What's marriage more than a piece of paper? The government gives you rights. And now you're just doing your own thing, living with them. And the woman stands back and says, that's everything I've ever done. That's my need. And you and I are sitting here today. Get beyond the physical. Look beyond the physical in your life. There is more. Jesus says in Mark 12, life is more than food. The body is more than just physical. There's more to it than that. Nicodemus made the same mistake that you and I often make. Jesus says, you must be born again. And he's thinking, I have to crawl physically into my mother's womb. Get beyond the physical. Jesus is, is constantly coming at us saying, here's a need you think you have, but here's your true need. And I'm about to tell you everything you ever did. And you're left completely vulnerable, naked in the presence of God Almighty. That's a tense moment. So, this woman's need. Now, Jesus provides a solution. He doesn't just leave her there and say, you have these needs. Good luck with that. Turns away and walks away. No. He provides a solution. You have, I have living water. If you come and drink, you'll never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. Now, this sounds like magic water because it sounds like Jesus is saying that you drink it one time, right? And you will never be thirsty again. But it's not. We realize as we read through John 4 that the solution, this living water, is in fact Jesus himself. I who stand before you am he. Later on, the Samaritans come and believe and they say, we have learned you are the savior of the world. That is Jesus Christ. That is what the, the Samaritan woman and, and many who believed in the Samaritan town believed about Jesus. Jesus is the living water. Once you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. That's the solution. So what is your need? Is it merely physical or is it like this woman's? You, you can find in your life a, a trajectory of sinful behavior and patterns where you can see, okay, I've got a real need, a real need, deep spiritual need, love, acceptance, purpose of life, intimacy. Those are my needs. And Jesus says, I know those are your needs. I'm going to meet them all. I'm here. I'm right here. Just drink. And she does. She drinks. And she knows that she'll never be thirsty again. She'll never approach a man the same way. Now, it may not be a spouse or boyfriend or relationship for you. It might be something completely different. But John 4 calls us to look at our needs. Money. What is it? Fame. Whatever it is for you, Jesus can be for you that living water. And he has what it takes to meet your need. Now we're moving on. And this is the hard third step. Yes, the woman has need. She misunderstood Jesus. Then she got it. Okay, that need. Got it. Got it. You're the solution to my need. I see you now. Great. But we have a problem. Let's look down. Uh, 
Let's look down uh, where Jesus says, a spring of water welling up in verse 14. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. In fact, indeed, the water I give them will become in them something different. The, the water I give him will become. Do, do you hear that? First you get the water, you drink it, you're never going to be thirsty again. That water will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's interesting his words there. What is he talking about? Why does he say a spring of water welling up to eternal life? And then you realize they're standing at a well. Here's, here's a pit at the bottom of which is a collection of water, a well. Now, there's a difference between what Jesus says the water will become in you to this well, Jacob's well. What's the difference between a well and a spring? That's where John 4 takes us. What's the difference between a well and a spring? Now, here's some differences. A well starts out with a, a flat plot of land, just a piece of land, and you bring your best shovel. And you bring your muscles because you'll need them. And you dig and you dig and you dig some more. Next day, blisters and all, you dig and you dig and you... Then you get ten more people because you're never going to finish on your own. You dig and you... Constantly digging all the way down. Nope, no water yet. Nope, no water yet. Jacob's well. She said it was deep. More and more until you finally reach the, the bottom. You, you finally see the water seeping through and now you have water. Thank God. My job's over. Oh, wait, No. It's not over. <laughs> I've just got water now. I've just got, I've got muddy shoes. Maybe I can take a little drink, you know. It's going to take a while for this to kind of fill in and now maybe get a little deeper or whatever. But I've got to build up those walls because what if the walls fall in, the well disappears? So I've got to build up the walls, bricks or wood or some kind of something, mud or something. And then on the top, I've got to build in something on the top, too, so that trash doesn't fall in. What if, you, what if you throw a bunch of dirt and trash in a well? It just disappears. You know, you can build a building on a well. You level the whatever's on top, and you fill it in, and you build. Easy. No problem. You don't also want to fall in the well. So you have to build a deck with a little lid and a hole, you know, and you just maybe build it up with bricks so it's higher so you don't fall in. But then you have another problem. You have to go down and get the water and bring it back up with a bucket. That's hard. That's hard labor. Pulleys and ropes and buckets. See, and every time you go to the well, Jesus has a problem. If the woman never came, Jesus would never have gotten a Well, he didn't get a drink. Actually, Jesus forgot about his thirst when she started talking to this woman, it seems. But let's say he was thirsty. He, he didn't have a, anything to draw with. So he would have been thirsty. He couldn't get the water. He couldn't get the water. A well is different than a spring. A spring of water. Think about it. It starts deep down inside and it, it just comes up. It bursts up. It burbles up. It just it overflows. It runs out. And if you throw dirt into a spring, it washes it away. If you throw trash into a spring, it just washes it away. If you try to fill it in and build on top of it, you're going to lose the battle. The spring will win the day. The spring, it, it, you don't build anything. You don't go to it and draw it out. Jesus is saying the well is kind of like the Old Testament. How you guys worship in Samaria. You have to go to a certain place and sacrifice certain things. We do that in, 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 in uh, Jerusalem as well. We do a lot of work to get to God. 
But the water I give you is a spring. This is the gospel. Is that not the gospel? That's a great picture of the gospel. It's the spring that just overflows. But see, you would say right there, you would say, praise God. And you shouldn't because it's inappropriate. <laughs> it's inappropriate. Overflow. Oh, think about that. The, the spring is a well of water. Overflowing. Praise God, you say. Here's what you're saying. You're probably thinking just like me. I have more than enough, right? I have more than enough. I wanted a, a Honda Civic, and Jesus gave me a Cadillac. I have more than I need. A well of water springing up. And the problem here is that that water, maybe it's not for you. Do you see that? You get the water, you drink it, you'll never thirst again. That water becomes a spring overflowing. For you, why would you need water you've already drank? You're not thirsty. You see, it's not appropriate right there to say overflow is great. Let's just, it's for me. Thank you, God. It's inappropriate. We read in lots of verses an abounding, an abundance of God's love. Listen to a few. Numbers 14 says, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love. Nehemiah. 917, you're a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate. Here it is, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, there's one prophet that understood what the abundance was all about. And his name was Jonah. Jonah knew that God's love was abounding and, and overflowing and more than enough. And that's why Jonah ran to Tarshish, away from Nineveh. A lot of times we hear Jonah was afraid to be a missionary and he didn't, he was comfortable. No, he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved because he hated the Ninevites. He knew that if he went to Nineveh, this love would come through him and be a, a spring just spilling out to everybody and he wouldn't be able to contain it. So he ran away. Listen to what Jonah said in Jonah 4 verse 2. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall or stop by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. So, maybe this spring isn't meant for you. What does Jesus say to the disciples? We didn't read that, but you can. Let me summarize what he says. Disciples come back from town. Jesus, eat some food. Jesus says something really odd here. He says, well, I already have food. You know nothing about my food. And the disciples are confused. Did you have food? Did you bring food? What? 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 And Jesus says, okay, physical. Here we go again. All right. Nicodemus, Samaritan woman, my disciples. Here we go, everybody. Not physical food. Let's transition now. And he says, he, what he says is open your eyes because they're blind. They're shut. You're not seeing what you should. He takes their heads and he lifts up their eyes and he says, look, what do you see? You see the harvest. You want to talk about food? This spring of water overflow. Look outside of yourself to those outside of yourself. That's what we're here for on earth. And, and here's a principle. God never 
wastes anything. You can take that and believe it. God never wastes anything. If God gives you wealth, God doesn't waste anything. If God gives you abundant talent or skills, God doesn't waste anything. He has plans for it. Your time on this earth, God doesn't waste anything. Your illness, your cancer, your loss, God doesn't waste anything. Even that. The strength that God gives you in your heart, the grace that that is poured into your heart. Listen, God doesn't waste anything. Every molecule, every second, every penny, every thought, everything. God never wastes anything. You, you might say, well, there's a miracle or two where waste happens. There's an abundance. It's just what we call leftovers. Right? John 6. Feeding of the 5,000. Loaves, fish, break them apart. Everybody gets fed. Thousands upon thousands of people are fed. And what happens at the end? Well, there's leftovers there, right? But Jesus says in John 6, he says, gather up the extras. How many are there? There's 12 baskets. Hmm. Interesting. How many of you were serving and didn't eat? Just 12 of us. There you go. There's your food. You want to talk about food? My food is to do the will of God. That's, that's what's happening in John 6. It's, Jesus is providing for, for them the food. And it's so interesting. Jesus says, collect all of the extras. Let's not waste any of it. Those are the words of Jesus in John 6. Let's not waste any of it. So, lift your eyes and see the harvest. So now we're to the witness. Now we're asking the final question of this morning, and that is specifically, what is the witness? What is this woman's witness? She, she is converted. She gets the living water. She goes to town. She, is, she knows this is a spring welling up to others, and she's giving it away. And everyone she can talk to, she's talking to. And, and, and what does she say? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, if I said that, you would say, oh, that's interesting. But let's pretend it was Hitler on stage. And Hitler said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What would you be thinking about? That's what this woman was like to this town. She was notorious. She was famous, right? For her lifestyle, for her husband's, I'm sure she was famous for this. And so she says two things. One, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Maybe he's the Messiah. He's supernatural. He can give you the living water he gave me. Trust him. And something else she's saying. He's the savior of the world, right? He met all my needs. He saved me. Love, acceptance, purpose of life. Remember me. You know who I am. This man met them all. That is her witness. Now, let's ask the question, how could this woman hurt her witness? By doing bad things? Yes. If she did bad things, if she sinned in a habitual way, people would doubt her testimony. (laughs) You're not really converted. You're not genuine. 
But that's not her witness, is it? That's not the complete picture. Her witness is, I have a need. Jesus solved my need. What if this woman went to the town and hid her need? That's how you can hurt your witness. Hiding your need. So, let's play this out. Let's say she actually hid her need. The conversation might go something like this. Come see a man who told me things that he couldn't have known otherwise. Maybe he's the Messiah. Well, like, like what did he tell you, they would say? What, the, the future? No, no, not really. Uh, he told me, um, what, he guessed your age, right, they'd say? Or your weight. He's one of those kind of guys, you know, he knows things. No, he didn't tell me those things. You know what? He's the solution to everything. He's the solution to what? What's the problem? Well, like he solved my problems. Well, what problems? What do you mean? I can't tell you. She's hiding her need. What kind of a testimony would that be? When you go to the world, Christian, what's your testimony? It should be your need. I had a need. I know you can relate to it because you have one too. Jesus did that. Give me a drink. Now let's talk about your thirst, right? That's, that's what we're doing in the world. She needed to say, Jesus told me of my need constantly to get married over and over and how unsuccessful and unhappy I was and how I could come to him for everything. He is the Savior who brings true love, true acceptance, true purpose, true security. He is the Savior of the world. And they believed. That's living water. So I have two questions as we close. First, if you're here, do you see your needs? Are you merely just thinking physically? You're not going into the spiritual realm? Or Jesus led Nicodemus, the disciples, and the Samaritan woman? I encourage you to go there. See your need. And see Jesus as the solution to your need. The living water that once you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. If you're here as a Christian, evaluate what does it mean to have a witness Do you witness to others about your need? Or do you hide your need? We are beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. You think about that. Let's pray together. Father God, we are blessed by John 4 and and the way that your son, Jesus, you came and, and saw this woman's need for what it was. And that she needed mercy and that she needed love. Help us to follow her example and go to the world and say, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And let us be humble and honest to show them our need so that they can see the greatness of the solution. Lord, we pray that you take our tithes this morning and take them to build your kingdom. And I pray that you would provide in a way that you and your wisdom know how to provide. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.